Hey, y'all. Welcome to the Girlfriend's Guide to Sports podcast. My name is Claire Coles, and this is your weekly update. It's Monday, September 11th. Let's start with what you missed over the last week, then we'll move on to what to watch this upcoming week in the world of sports. All right, so as always, let's get started with some baseball, and I'm going to go ahead and start with a huge story of just yikes, because it is September 11th, and never forget what that day means to so many of us, especially those people who are native to New York. And this first story deals exactly with that. DraftKings issued an apology today after they ran a special on September 11th today on New York teams. They actually ran a promo that you, it was a parlay that you would bet that the Yankees, Mets, and Jets all had to win their games today. Really, really insensitive, obviously. Um, So they did have to issue a public apology and some people have called it tone deaf. And I will say I have to agree with that one. But going back to more of like this week's updates and actually sports-related stuff. So this week, the Orioles outlasted the Angels in 10 innings, winning by one on Monday. Yankees' Giancarlo hit his 400th home run of his career in the Yankees' 5-1 to win over the Tigers. This added to the Yanks' five-game win streak. The Cubs had a hot streak going as well, winning four straight four straight games, including a sweep of the Giants, but then lost three straight to the Diamondbacks. The Rays needed two extra innings to get the W over the Red Sox, but did it in style with a three-run home run to win by two. Then on Tuesday, the Rays pitcher Glasnow tied his career high of 14 strikeouts to beat them once again, this time in regulation three to one. The Cardinals hit four home runs in the second straight game to beat the top team in the league, the Braves, 11-6. While Uriash serves his second suspension for domestic violence, see last week's episode if you're like, what? His replacement, rookie Pepio, pitched a perfect six and two-third innings in the Dodgers' demolition of the Marlins Thursday. They won 10-0. That night, the Tigers would end the Yankees' win streak at five, beating them 10-3. Dodgers first baseman Freddie Freeman set their franchise record for the most doubles in a season with 53 in their win over the Nationals 8-5 on Friday. As if their next game needed to be longer after a four-hour rain delay, the Washington and L.A. teams went to 11 innings to decide Saturday's game. The Nationals took it off a wild pitch 7-6. to six. Phillies left fielder Schwarber blasted his 42nd home run in their win over the Marlins 8-4. He would then hit number 43 on Sunday, but they would lose 4-5. That moved Schwarber to number three on the home runs list this season, only behind Braves Olsen at 48 and Angels Otani at 44. The Orioles have have won had won seven straight, I should say, including a 13 to 12 nail biter on Saturday before dropping their final game of the week in the Red Sox series on Sunday. They lost three to seven. And then the Brewers Yankees game was scoreless until the 11th inning when they both scored a single run. The Brewers hit theirs, got theirs first, and then the Yankees came back to get theirs. Before that, the Yankees hadn't even managed to get a hit. The Brewers then scored two more in the 12th, surely thinking that would be enough, right? 
Nope. The Yankees got a two-run home run to keep the game going, and we went into the 13th inning where we would finally get a result, and the Yankees pull it out by one. Moving along, the Astros started their week off by dominating the Rangers 14-1 to and then 12-3 to to sweep their fellow Texas team. But the newsworthy piece here is that Altuve was on fire, making history Tuesday night by hitting five home runs in just two games that ties the most in MLB history. He home run in each of his first three at bat in the first three innings, ending the game three of five at the plate. This combined with his home run in the ninth inning on Monday, he is the first player since 1961, which is what they call the expansion era started, to home run in four consecutive innings. They did drop their first game against the Padres, though. Otherwise, they won five of their last six games. And then finally, we have our first team that clinched the playoff berth. The Atlanta Braves in the National League with 94 wins have officially clinched their spot. They are the only team to be over 90 wins, along with the Orioles sitting at exactly that amount. Also, for the eliminated teams we added to this week in the National League, our first eliminated team, the Colorado Rockies, and then adding the White Sox to the American League, as well as the Royals and the A's from last week as well. Moving along to some basketball news as the NBA, this is crazy, y'all, is cracking down on resting stars with likely passing more stringent rules and punishments for doing so. The league's board is expected to pass a motion that would give the ability to fine teams over a million dollars per incident for missed games of their stars during regular season games, likely on a building scale still. It's like first offense would be $100,000, second offense would be a quarter of a million dollars and then a million dollars for each offense after that specifically the league wants to avoid instances with multiple all-stars sitting out and resting during in-season tournaments and televised especially nationally televised games also on the table is mandating that players participate in a 65 regular season games to be eligible for postseason awards. Now, a star is technically defined as someone who made the all-star or all NBA teams in any of the last three seasons. There obviously will be exceptions to the rule. These will be called excused absences. So the league would allow regular season back-to-back allowances for players who are 35 years or older if they have, and this is a quote, career workloads of 34,000 regular season minutes or 1,000 regular season slash playoff games if all of that being said, if they are pre-approved that they can sit for that game. So basically this is when you either clinch your playoff spot or don't clinch your playoff spot. Basically teams were sitting their major players. This obviously, and of course I understand gets fans really upset when you pay for a ticket and you want to see Luca play for instance, for the Mavs or LeBron play for the Lakers and they end up sitting out the entire game. So they actually are also considering doing it where you have to have the stars visible, even if they're not going to play. In other news, Rockets guard Kevin Porter Jr. was arrested for assault and strangulation involving his former WNBA player girlfriend in a New York hotel room this morning. More news I'm sure we'll be following on that. And then in other not great news, the United States lost to Germany in the FIBA semifinal this week. Germany did go on to win the entire thing, beating Serbia in the final 83-77. to 77. 
but still. To add insult to injury, the United States lost to Canada in the bronze medal match by nine points as well. This is all in a lead up to an Olympic year, which is next year. So we'll see how seriously the Americans want to take basketball. Although there was an article that came out this week or today that said Steph Curry and LeBron are both eyeing the Paris Olympics. So that would be a huge bonus for the United States. Moving along to college football, and there were only four losses in the top 25 this week, but one is a doozy. So we got to start with the biggest one. And y'all, it makes me sick. I try to be as unbiased as possible, but this seriously just hurts my heart. Number 11, Texas upset. Number three, Alabama at home, handing Saban his first double-digit loss at home since 2003. That is actually when he coached LSU, not Alabama. This also snaps the Tide's 21 home winning streak, which is the current longest, actually now not, in the FBS. Now Georgia is at the top of that list. The next time, or the last time, Texas beat a top five ranked team. That team was Nebraska. Texas, frankly, looked better in this game than Alabama did. There is no sugarcoating it. I hate it, but it is actually true. Texas was up 13-6 to at half, and then Bama came back to take their first lead of the game, 16-13, to the start the fourth quarter. I will say they really, the horns really let the tide just kind of hang around for quite some time, and it still could have gone Bama's way, but they majorly got beat in the quarterback position. Quinn Ewers is the better quarterback than Milrow, which is Alabama's starting quarterback, and it showed in the fourth quarter when UT put up 21 points to win 34-24. to 24. They are now, uh, Texas is now ranked in the top five as well. Alabama fell to number 10 today. Washington State also beat number 19 Wisconsin to keep the Pac-12 win streak alive. Wash, uh, Wazoo quarterback Cam Ward looked good throwing two touchdowns for 212 yards and going 20 of 32. They were up 24-9 at half, and although the Badgers did come back a little bit in the third quarter, the Cougars were just too much for Wisconsin to handle. They, uh, they are now ranked number 23, and that is Washington State. Wisconsin is now out of the rankings. And also, speaking of teams that might be back, Miami might be back. Well, at least they beat number 23, Texas A&M, this weekend after losing a Snorfest. Last year, it was 9-17. to This year, we had a lot more points scored, including the ultimate momentum killer, a 98-yard kickoff return by the Canes. Miami put up double digits in the final three quarters to win 48-33. to Miami also broke into the top 25 with this win, putting them at number 22. Number 20, Ole Miss, was put on the ropes by number 24, Tulane. And not just number 24, Tulane, who beat USC in the Cotton Bowl last year. Tulane, without its starting quarterback, still had Ole Miss on the ropes. They did pull it out in the fourth quarter, however, scoring 20 points, including a scoop and, a scoop and score to win 37-20. to 20. Other major storylines from the weekend is number nine, Tennessee scores the least amount of points in head coach Heupel's era, beating Austin P just 30 to 13. Needless to say, they did not cover that spread. Number 10, Notre Dame handles with handles their business against a good defensive team, NC State, winning 45-24. Number 12, Utah took their first lead of the game with just eight 
seconds left over Baylor. Baylor then makes it to the 20 with an incredible pass with just one second left on the clock. So they have a chance to toss it up for the win, but a controversial no PI call would end the game. Number 12, Utah escapes. Barely. Number 13, Oregon also had a close call with unranked and winless Texas Tech. In a game that went back and forth all day, Texas Tech gets a field goal, could go up by two with just five minutes left in the entire game. Oregon then takes the clock down to 110 to get their field goal, putting them up by one. The Red Raiders were driving, making it to midfield before Shug threw a pick six to put Oregon up by eight. Texas Tech then had 35 seconds left to score a touchdown and a two-point conversion, which would have taken them to overtime. But alas, it was not meant to be as Texas Tech throws an interception as time expires. Number 17, UNC needed two overtimes to hold off App State, who actually gave them trouble last year as well. That in-state rivalry, App State scored a field goal in the final two minutes to take the game into overtime. Both teams proceeded to then score a touchdown in the first overtime, so we moved into the second. Then QB Drake May for UNC held onto the ball for a touchdown to put the Tar Heels up, but was unsuccessful doing the same play for a two-point conversion, which you have to go for in the second time in the second overtime. UNCD then came up big time with a stop at, to end the game, even if a PI call should have been thrown. But I'll let you decide. The clip is in the blog. Number 22, Colorado continues to roll and they handled Nebraska despite a kind of slower start. We were 0-0 through the first quarter. Eventually, Colorado players did exactly what they do best, scored some major points, ending the game 36-14. Nebraska only scored a touchdown in each of the final two quarters, so it was the score is kind of misleading in my opinion. Also in the Battle of Houston, Rice beat Houston in two overtimes to take that trophy. Rice was up 28 zip before Houston came back to tie it, and then they still lost. The Pac-12 was also 17-0 until Mississippi State finally took down Arizona in overtime, but it did take them till overtime to do so. Also, weather delayed 25 hours of football games this weekend combined, obviously. Purdue and VTech was the most by getting delayed 5 hours and 54 minutes. In huge news that broke late Sunday night, early Monday morning, Michigan State head coach Mel Tucker has been suspended and believed with the intent to fire after being accused of sexual harassment allegations. Get ready, people. He allegedly did some phone sex things with the lady who literally goes around to different universities to talk about sexual harassment with football players. You literally can't make this stuff up. However, as of today, Michigan State coach Mel Tucker has come out and thoroughly denied that any of this was not consensual. And it was a pretty spicy um, statement from the lawyer. So I'm going to let y'all go ahead and look that one up. I am not going to read it on here, but it's pretty intense and uh, gets not super graphic by any means, but it does get a little graphic. So kind of funny if you want to look that up. And then another yikes moment, and this is my own team. Oklahoma offensive coordinator Jeff Levy had ex and disgraced Baylor head coach Art Bryles on the field during the OU-SMU game Saturday night. The man, to be fair, is his father-in-law, but still. 
So if you're like, ah, that ring, it kind of rings a bell. So in case you missed it, Art Bryles was fired from Baylor in 2017 after he ignored and took no action after his team was named in several sexual assault allegations. It is literally the reason why the lady has a job that going around to different universities talking about sexual harassment with different football players. So yeah, not a good look for Oklahoma to have him on the field. And then literally Jeff Levy changed his um, profile picture to that picture. So not a good look. Moving along to NFL as it was week one of the NFL season. And we began with a shocker on Thursday night football to kick off the entire season. The Lions, who went nine and eight last season, beat the defending Super Bowl champs, the Chiefs, by one on Thursday. In other, what I would consider upsets, it is week one, but still, the Browns and quarterback Deshaun Watson destroyed the Bengals and quarterback Joe Burrow, who had the lowest passing yardage of his entire career. So sorry for those of you who have him as your quarterback in fantasy because he got you like three points. It was painful. Sticking with surprising quarterback news, um, Buccaneers new quarterback, Baker Mayfield. Bet you didn't even know who the starter was because I certainly didn't and I love me some Baker Mayfield. Beat the Vikings and newly popular Kirk Cousins 20-17. to Then Saints' Derek Carr made a splash in his debut for the New Orleans team, throwing 305 yards and to get a win over the Titans. But the best quarterback performance was by the Dolphins' QB, Atua Tungavaloa, who threw 466 yards, threw for three touchdowns, and to hold on to a 36-34 to win over the Chargers at LA, no less. There were seven close games under a touchdown point differential, which is usually what I will start going over every week. The Cowboys-Giants rivalry game, though, was not one of those close games. The Dallas team put a on a beating, shutting out the Giants 42-0. That is like college football scores right there. And then earlier in the week, 49ers defensive end Nick Bosa, formerly of Ohio State, is now the highest paid defensive player in the entire NFL. He signed his agreement Wednesday for $170 million for five years. He is the highest paid non-QB in league history. $122.5 million is guaranteed in this contract. To be fair, he is the reigning defensive player of the year, so at least we know he is worth it little bit of Olympic news, and I, you can't help but laugh at this first story because 11,000 runners <laughs> have been DQ'd from a marathon in Mexico City after thousands were found to cut the course. That is more than a third of the total runners participating in the entire marathon. Some runners were even rumored to use vehicles and public transportation to cut the course and not run through some of the um, mileage markers. This was not the first time. That, Mexico, that this has happened in the Mexico City Marathon either. In 2017, 6,000 runners, and in 2018, 3,000 runners were removed for similar infractions. I don't know if you can hear the smile and laughter in my voice, but it is hilarious. Then actually sticking with marathon news, the king has officially hung it up and hung up his spikes as GBRs, so Team Great Britain's Mo Farah, has retired from competitive marathon running after he took fourth place at the Great North Run Half Marathon on Sunday. 
Mofera is a six-time world champion and a four-time Olympic champion, including successfully completing the Golden Double, which is the 5K and the 10K, in the 2013 and 2015 Worlds and 2012 and 2016 Olympics. Although he is native to Somalia, he was actually human trafficked over to the UK, literally to run for them. He was also knighted by Queen Elizabeth. So truly an amazing career that we have gotten to see over the years, Mo Farah. So thank you so much for the memories. And then, of course, it was the U.S. Open in tennis, the final Grand Slam of the year. And you know what? The grants, the U.S. Open, for the first time since 2017, we have an American champion. On the women's side, we had two American women in as of the quarterfinals, Coco Goff and Madison Keys. Both moved on through to the semifinals, and we were all hoping for a USA versus USA final. Coco Goff did her job beating Makova in straight sets. That takes her to her first Grand Slam final, and she is the youngest to make it there since Serena did it in 1999. However, Madison Keys came out hot, winning six and to zero in her first set over number two Belarusian Sabalenka, Sabalenka, and then lost the next two in tiebreakers. So that set up Belarus Sabalenka versus the United States Goff, and of course home crowd and home field advantage helps. Coco dropped the first set two to six, but rallied back to win the next two, six to three and six to two, to take her first Grand Slam title. She was actually in the crowd. There is a actual video. She was in the U.S. Open crowd at nine years old, and now she is sitting there holding the trophy. She is the first American woman to win since 2017, Sloane Stevens, to do so. Coco adds her name to a prestigious lot of four women since the 2000s that are all African-American American women to win the U.S. Open. So you go, Coco. On the men's side, last we left off, we had three American, American men left, but two were facing each other, Shelton and Tiafo. And TFO. And then Fritz had to take on Djokovic to claim his spot in the final. Well, unranked Shelton was the winner of the two Americans. And needless to say, Fritz had his work cut out for him. And Djokovic got him in straight sets. The other semifinal was number one, Alcarez versus number three, Medvedev. The Russian got the better of world number one, winning in four sets, only dropping the third, although the first did go to tiebreakers. So the final was Serbia's Novak Djokovic versus Russia's Medvedev. Number two versus number three. And Djokovic showed exactly why he is the best in history, winning in straight sets. The second did go to tiebreakers, but he won his 24th Grand Slam title. He is now the only player, man or woman, to have done so. Technically, there is a woman um, court who won 24 titles. That was technically before when we consider it the open and Grand Slam kind of uh, time period because both amateurs and pros could compete. That's why it doesn't technically consider it as that. That is what happened over the last week. Now let's go over what to watch this upcoming week in the world of sports, starting off as we always do with some baseball. 
So in the MLB, catch Tuesday, the Yankees at the Red Sox. Big rivalry there at 610 on TBS. Then Thursday, either the Yankees at the Red Sox for game two or the Rays at the Orioles. So top-ranked teams as far as playoff goes at 615 on Fox. Friday, a couple of Apple TV games, and then ending the week with Sunday, the Cubs at the Diamondbacks at 6 on ESPN. Then in college football for week three, the top games of the week, it's a little bit of a lighter slate this week. Number 15, Kansas State will take on what used to be former Big 12 rival Mizzou at 11 a.m. That will be on SEC Network, Kansas State favored by five. Number 11, Tennessee will take on Florida at 6 p.m. on ESPN. Tennessee is favored by six and a half. Then I added this one in here, even though neither team is ranked, Pitt will play at West Virginia in what is called the Backyard Brawl on Saturday at 6.30 p.m. on ABC. Pitt is favored by only one point. And then game day goes to Colorado and Coach Prime for the in-state rivalry. Colorado State visiting number 18, Colorado, at 9 p.m. So get ready to have a late night. And Colorado, uh, that's on ESPN. Colorado is favored by 22 and a half. Then tonight on Monday Night Football for NFL, we've got the Bills at the Jets at 7.15 on ESPN and ABC. That game is currently on right now. Aaron Rodgers actually only lasted four snaps before he went out of a game injured and will not return. Also, speaking of a return, DeMar Hamlin is on the sidelines, but he is in attendance. Thursday night football this week will be the Vikings at the Eagles at 7.15, and we go back to Prime TV for that game. Sunday, catch eight games at noon on Fox or CBS. The Fox games are Packers at the Falcons, the Seahawks at the Lions, the Bears at the Bucks, and the Colts at the Texans. The CBS games are the Raiders at the Bills, the Ravens at the Bengals, the Chargers at the Titans, and the Chiefs at the Jags. Then at 3.05 on Fox, you can either catch the 49ers at the Rams or the Giants at the Cardinals. And then at 3.25 on CBS, the Jets at the Cowboys or the Commanders at the Broncos. Ending out Sunday Night Football, Dolphins at the Patriots at 7.20 p.m. on NBC. And then next Monday, a week from today, the 18th, we have two games for Monday Night Football. The Saints at the Panthers at 6.15 on ESPN. And then the Browns at the Steelers at 7.15 on ABC. This week, we also have a Formula One round as we gear up for the United States round coming up here in just about a month. Sunday, you can catch Formula One Singapore Grand Prix. That will be at 7 a.m. on ESPN. We actually do have a little bit of Olympic sports on TV as well. NCAA Volleyball, since Nebraska kind of started that whole hoopla with their 92,000 in attendance, now you can kind of catch some NCAA women's volleyball on TV. Wednesday, Wisconsin versus Marquette at 7 p.m. on Fox Sports 1. And Sunday, Oregon versus Marquette at 1 on Fox Sports 1. You also have some track and field as it is the Diamond League final and that will take place Saturday. It's in Eugene, Oregon, so it is here in the United States. You can catch that at 2 p.m. on NBC, and then Sunday at 3 on NBC. If you win the Diamond League final, you get a spot in Worlds automatically. And then we do have a bunch of soccer games going on, including NCAA women's and NCAA men's. Check out the blog, The Girlfriend's Guide to Sports, for those times and games. That wraps it up for me this week. Again, it is September 11th, so never forget 
what our country went through on this day all those years ago. As always, for more times, games, and stories, check out the blog, The Girlfriend's Guide to Sports. Like and subscribe to wherever you listen to podcasts, and I'll catch you all next week.